Well, hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting on Saga 960 AM. We're also over there at the Big Talker Network and right there in your podcast feed. I'm one half of your host, Daniel Lasowski, coming to you from Central European Studio here in Vienna, Austria, and uh, joined by David Clement in Ontario. David, you keeping warm? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well. Doing well. Feels like uh, fall is on the horizon. Uh, we have a new conservative leader who's already mixing it up with the press. Um, so yeah, it's exciting times. Exciting times. Mixing it up with the press. Yeah, we can talk about that in a bit. Um, I guess it's. Uh, I'll be back on the road for next week. So once again, uh, there's a lot of talk about everything that's happening with. The strikes in the U.S. with the rail lines. Uh, there's still, I think in Germany, they still have a mask requirement for the plane, which um, that'll not be fun on my way back because I am going through Germany. That's not fun. Um, I think the travel experience will be okay, though. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping. It's kind of the Wild West out there. Um, but hopefully they've started to figure it out now that they've like reduced routes and all that stuff. Yeah, we didn't hear much about it. I've seen uh, you know a couple other labor things about airlines and pilots. Uh, usually, this is always something that happens in late July, August, uh, just because that's you know summer peak travel season, and uh, everybody wants more money in summer anyway, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, true. So yeah, David, um, I did a, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. I uh, changed our URL, consumerchoiceradio.com. That is now f- just going straight to our podcast page. Beautiful. And the reason I did that is, yeah, it's just simplification. So whenever we're directing people over to consumerchoiceradio.com, you guys can go back through the 140 past episodes that we have recorded since January 2020. And any show notes or, you know, if there's a particular URL or an article that David or I wrote, uh, we'll hawk it within the uh, sort of RSS feed. Uh, I thought it was just a bit redundant to have the other website. There's just a lot of more work for Yeah, me, uh, it's probably a good move. It's prob- probably a good move. Um Put it all in one spot. Easier. Yeah. David's to, like, I know, I arrange all of I, this. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I am not the technical um, half of this program in any way. So, for listeners who are wondering how all of this uh, actually maintains and functions, it is not yours truly who gets it done. <laughs> what would you say you do here? Yeah, not that. Um, yeah. But, yes, uh, indeed. Okay, so a little bit of housekeeping that's done. Um, again, uh, we've got plenty of our past episodes there that we've been doing, a lot of interviews in the past, uh, some things that are very timely. Um, oftentimes we're discussing the pertinent issues of consumer choice, of smart policy, of innovative technology. Uh, there's always something that's going on every week uh, specific to especially lifestyle freedom lately. So, David, uh, later in the program, I, I do want to cover your article on uh, the new prohibitionism, uh, which is um, rearing its ugly head. Um, And then in the meantime, you know, there's just, um, 
I don't know. How's the news cycle been for you? Because when it comes to consumer topics, it's been a bit difficult. Uh, we're obviously back into, I mean, it's essentially fall for all intents and purposes. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in terms of spending more money. I do see that uh, we've got more plans in the U.S. to spend money. There's probably another thing that's going to happen. There's uh, all kinds of actions that are being discussed. There's immigration that's on the table. In Canada, we have Trudeau who's announcing his um, <laughs> plans on inflation, which will make inflation worse. Uh, well, where do you want to go from here? I mean, the inflation discussion is so hilarious because they're essentially spending more money. And when asked, Trudeau says it won't increase inflation. I mean, any layman who understands the issue probably is like, wait, that doesn't make sense. I mean, you're just you're infusing more cash into the economy. So um, it, it feels like it would. And then Scotiabank came out and said, uh, no, this is actually going to make inflation worse. And in response... The Bank of Canada is likely going to have to increase rates even further beyond 4%. Um, so, I, I don't know. It's like, the, it's like the Trudeau government's trying to take a page out of Biden's playbook where it's like, evidence be damned. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to sell it. And it doesn't really matter. Uh, what's it doesn't really matter what the facts are if we can just pitch the perception hard enough then uh then we're going to go for it and that i mean it's uh, there's that and then there's another another policy which i think a lot of people on the surface would support but all, again strikes me as like bad policy so they they've created a new luxury tax on cars over a hundred thousand and boats over two hundred and fifty thousand and I mean it's fashionable to like oh we're gonna make the rich pay. Um but taxes like that always discourage consumption. And the thing is is like Santa's elves don't make those luxury cars. They don't sell those luxury cars. They're sold by working class people. They're maintained by working class mechanics like there are jobs that exist in the periphery because people buy nice things, very expensive, fancy things. And so you've created a tax to discourage consumption. And the hilarious part is, is like the, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the numbers, um, but it's estimated to generate something like, let's say $700 million. But the economic cost of it is like 1.2 billion. So it's a, it's a net negative um overall and yet they're just plowing through being like nope we're going after the rich and it's like okay well i'm sure that uh galen weston isn't really going to care um but i'm sure all of the people who service these vehicles sell them make all of the parts all of that are are going to care and and then the the financial position of the country comes out net negative um mm. so and we're talking about boats right well, cars, boats, I don't know what else is in there, but luxury things. I mean, it's easy to sell, right? The rich have to pay their fair share. Um, but it, it's the policy mm, yeah. is created in such a way with horse blinders on as if these luxury goods just like magically appear. 
And like nobody builds them. Nobody's paid to build them or service them or sell them or detail them or do any of those things. They just exist. Uh, so yeah, very strange. I need a bigger boost. <laughs> I need a bigger boost. We're going to yeah. need a bigger boat. Uh, yeah, so the interesting part of all of this is, you know, I... David, I'm not sure about you. I, I think you probably took some classes, but I went through a rudimentary um, economic education. Um, a lot of it, mostly my master's degree. Um, you know, I did go through the Canadian system in political science to do learn economics and things. Uh, but everything that I'm hearing from political leaders today is the absolute opposite of what I heard back then. Uh, maybe that's just because it was it happened to be a Republican admin or. Uh, back then, or it was the Harper government, conservatives. So all of the economic rules were steadfast. You know, a recession is, you know, two quarters negative growth. It's written in the stars. Um, but as soon as it's a, another party, um, that definition is changed, and there are nuances that we have to understand. And I believe that argument is coming to Canada, where uh, there's a couple articles saying, like, well, you know, it's highly likely, maybe, we're not sure, it could be a recession. It's, guys, look at the chart. Look at anyone's savings in the market. Um, look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average just as, a like, an example. Like, we hit the high back in, what, January? 36,000? It's like a 30,000 today. Just look at... Look at my meme stock portfolio. We are out getting smoked out there. <laughs> Yeah, I mostly got rid of those, David, for that very reason. Or uh, a lot of it I've just sold completely. You know, I pulled the uh, Michael Blurry um, playbook. He's the, the guy who, uh, you know, the big short is kind of based on. Uh, he, put, he took all of his money out of the market and put it all in private prisons. <laughs> so Did he, he really? apparently thinks, yes, in GeoGroup. No, oh, no. So <sighs> I don't know if he just thinks... There's going to be another lockdown thing and no one's going to pay attention or nobody's going to obey and they're going to put a lot of people in jail or <laughs> uh, because there's been a lot of crime, you know, maybe after the midterms, there's going to be a lot more uh, sort of harsher penalties that'll come down and more people will go to jail or maybe it's just that that the geo group is doing other stuff and it's a good investment. I don't really know. You don't know these things. It's, you take away like your own opinion on it. And you you could see, I mean, I, this is true. I think both in Canada and um, and the U.S., law and order conservatism is is going to make a comeback, and that's mostly because the people in the criminal justice reform world, which I think I consider myself in, have really done a bad job of focusing on terrible things. Um, so rather than focusing on nonviolent crime and getting rid of those instances of criminalizing nonviolent behavior, they've created in many instances where like high risk offenders get released early and then they do really bad stuff again. Um, I mean, one of the local examples here from, from just last week was someone who had been deemed high risk, who had like a huge rap sheet of, of violent crime, firearms offenses, like some serious stuff. Um, essentially stalks outside of a Tim Hortons. And I use this word because it's literally what happened and it makes me very uncomfortable to say it. Executes a police officer eating lunch, then drives to his former place of employment 
employment and starts shooting, um, injuring one, critically injuring another whom they're saying is unlikely to survive. And this is all someone whom on paper um, you could justify not releasing back into society uh, in any near term just because of their long rap sheet. And so it's very easy for conservatives to to look at that and say, hey, this is the consequence of these weak policies. And I mean, it's ne- it's a huge negative for everybody that this is where the, the conversation, the situation has gotten to, obviously, because people are less safe. Um, and two, it demeans the meaningful uh, side of criminal justice reform. Um, that, that that conversation still needs to happen. And it's it's just really depressing. Exactly. Yeah, and, and uh, it's happening in the major cities. You know, that's it's sort of the diatribe about San Francisco. So you had, um, I think it's Chesa Boudin, uh, he was the district attorney, and he lost in a recall election uh, because he the citizens of the the denizens of San Francisco had deemed that the lawlessness had carried on far too much. You know, just ordinary larceny, just people going into shops, just walking into the Walgreens, picking up a shampoo bottle, stick of gum, you know, a Coke, and uh, just walking out. And all of the corporate policies of these pharmacies or um, shops basically say that the security guards can't really stop them physically because they don't want to get sued. And this is happening everywhere. And there's just kind of a rampant problem and i agree it puts criminal justice reformers sort of in a very tight position i think it definitely gives a negative uh, it's definitely a stain on the record of many of the more extreme elements of the criminal justice thing saying that we should close all the prisons down or that nobody should go to jail or <laughs> whereas those of us who've been saying hey you know non-violent offenses you know should not have life terms you shouldn't go to prison for 87 years for having a marijuana plant or whatever it is. Um, there's may, yeah, yeah. May, maybe don't maybe don't tase the person vaping on the boardwalk, and in exchange, keep the violent murderer and or rapist in prison. But I mean, who am I to say? Indeed, who is he? We'll find out more on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned. to Consumer Choice Radio. Yael Lasowski here, joined by David Clement. Uh, you can head on over to ConsumerChoiceRadio.com for our past episodes and uh, see what else we were talking about. Uh, in the first segment there, we were talking a little bit about the uh, criminal justice reform efforts and how um, there have there's sort of been an overcorrection in, in some areas. Again, it depends on where you are. And uh, it's sort of led to this resurgence of uh, maybe not in terms of actual power, but the mentality of the law and order folks. And this stuff matters because this impacts your community. It impacts where you live. It impacts how many police officers are roaming down the street, you know, what they're busy doing. Um, I don't know about you, David, but growing up for me, uh, the threat of police officers interfering in your normal life 
uh, was a pretty present thing. And every time that we would be playing in the streets or go to the park too late or, you know, be walking alone at a certain hour, there would always be a cop car. There would always be an officer to talk to us. There would always be questions. I, I remember back... Yeah, I remember back in high school, and now that I think about it, it's particularly egregious. And, like, it, was, it wasn't it was me, but it was a friend. They were walking along um, along one of the main streets in, in Oakville with a couple backpacks on. And the officer stopped to search them to see if they had booze. Um, and it's just, like, complete... I mean that type of behavior is only possible if you're taking if you're taking advantage of someone who really doesn't understand their their rights because you have to have a cause for that type of probable search. cause yeah but yeah there were all sorts of instances yeah all sorts of instances like that I mean the <laughs> the joke was um, it, when I was in high school is that the cops spent more time breaking up house parties and bush parties than they did anything else um and i mean the crazy thing is is that you fast forward however many years it's been since i was a young chap in high school and like i think it was in like the in in, let's call it the greater toronto area in the span of a couple months there were like 30 carjackings and i'm and these are not like thefts of vehicles these are you stop at a red light a bunch of guys get out of the car in front of you with weapons or firearms and steal your vehicle at gunpoint. Um, Which is, I mean, for Canadians, is something that's like completely foreign and unheard of. And yet there were so many Hey, buddy, back up. Back up. What are you doing, buddy? Get away from my window, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and, and this is the thing that I think people often forget is like police time is finite. So the more time you spend, they spend criminalizing trivial things. There's a, a police officer in, in our area who's very popular on Twitter who I particularly dislike because he tweets all of his stops, all of his traffic stops. And some of them are the most bogus, like, oh, this person had a muffler that was like half a decibel too loud, or this person's license plate cover was like one eighth of an inch too large and it was covering part of the o in ontario so they got a ticket it's like oh yeah imagine if you were at, imagine if you were actually solving crime <laughs> I've, i like mean i've told this story before guys. but um when we had a, a jeep wrangler um that thing was just a magnet for cops uh because it happened to you know have huge tires and you know, it was lifted up off the ground about four inches. <laughs> so you got a big lift, a big tires. It's a bit loud because, you know, the old Jeep Wranglers, you know, the old uh, YJs um, are very loud. And I got pulled over in Pennsylvania. Um, this is a North Carolina plated vehicle. And the guy tells me I'm breaking vehicle code in Pennsylvania. He's like, well, your tires are uh. way too wide. I'm like, all right, well, you could say that if I was plated Pennsylvania, but it's plated North Carolina, and I get my inspection there, and I passed. <laughs> what's and what's the realistic expectation there? What you you cross this imaginary state line, and you have to change your tires? 
Well, there's no <laughs> rational. Like, yeah, there, there's no rational thing. It is only that his particular municipality, which is out on, you know, some bum interstate town that no one lives in, they make money from people who drive through and issue these tickets that are not enforceable and just hope that people pay the fine. In this case, I did not pay the fine. I took it to court. I went through all the steps. I was prepared to drive 10 and a half hours to the courthouse. And I got a call from the district attorney who said that the, uh, the cop who pulled me over and was supposed to be in court had a car accident. He couldn't come. A new judge looked at the case, saw it was ridiculous, and threw it out. So I won. Beat oh, the state. Good. I even motion a filed, uh, or I filed a motion to dismiss and did this whole thing <laughs> from my own letterhead. <laughs> I actually... Uh, I've kept that as a memento. But this was an obviously a ridiculous case that most people who don't have the time or the knowledge, similar to what you said before, are just going to pay the fine. And this is what we don't want police to become is just some, you know, money raising racket. That's not why we have police. We have police to what? Defend order to make sure that there's not violent outbursts, that people are not being killed. You know, that's why we have police officers not to try to just get more money from citizens. If that's the case, then replace them all with, you know, cameras and speed cameras and red light cameras, which is what they do in Europe anyway. Well, in Edmonton, now they are experimenting with a distracted driving camera, which is at a light that's like 20 feet in the air that looks down into the cars. And if it sees you touch your phone... At a red light, you can get a $700, I think it is, distracted driving cell phone ticket. I mean, if you're at the red light, you're distracted by anything. There's a bird up there. You know, what's that business? Come on. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I, I don't know if I've told this story, but it's like the one time where I've had to, like, flex my rights. Um, this was years ago. I had an old 1993 Chrysler Intrepid that, had enough kilometers on it to circle the globe like a hundred times. And I pulled into my dad's parking lot and a police officer pulled in behind me and I got out. They didn't have their lights on. So I got out and I'm walking to the front door and she gets out of the car and she goes, excuse me, sir. And I turn around, I'm like, oh, can I help you? And she's like, yeah, I have a question about your vehicle. Okay. She's like, well, the registration on the car, it was like a beige car. She's like, the registration on the car says it was yellow. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. I mean, this car's been passed down by like three people at this point. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to have to check the VIN to ensure it's not stolen. It's like, you really think someone's stealing this clunker? It was, it, It's worth <laughs> $300. I pretty much had to, at the end of its life, two months later, had to pay someone to pick it up to scrap it for spare parts. And so she's like, oh, I need to see the VIN. And I knew my way around a vehicle then because I had taken auto body in, the, in in high school. I'm like, okay, well, the VIN's in the dashboard. You can have a look. Have a nice day. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I need to see it on the inside, uh, like on the engine block. And I was like, ah, you know what? You don't need to see it on the inside of the engine block. That's... Uh, you don't have any like do you have any cause for for this is this has a 93 Chrysler Intrepid been reported stolen in the area um like is there any justification and then she was kind of caught off guard like oh 
And then there was a big scratch on the back of it because, again, this was an old beater car. And she's like, how did you get this scratch? And I was like, what do you mean, how did I get it? And she's like, well, where did the scratch come from? I'm like, well, somebody hit a pole. And she's like, okay, was that reported to police? And I'm like, again, this is a $300 vehicle. The gas in it is more expensive than the car. No, it wasn't reported to police, Neither, and nor did it need to be. And there was like this weird tense back and forth, and eventually she gave up and went away. But how many people in that situation just end up like going through the cycle of like, okay, I need to see in the vehicle. I need like all of the other nonsense that stems from that. And then overlay, it's like, how about you go out and you get some bad guys <laughs> rather than harassing oh, yeah. me who is like a at the poverty line student at the time driving a car that's three, oh, that's three years younger than me. Uh, we're almost the same age. Um, yeah, just wild stuff. And th- this exists en masse. All the oh, time, yeah. Like and, and when you need the police, and again, I'm, I'm sorry that this is sounding like a uh, sort of... <laughs> it's not an anti-police show. Look, we're just... Look, the priorities are messed up. And everyone recognizes that. You know, when I got my car stolen in downtown Montreal, um, happened, I went to a party, came back out, car was gone, glass was all over the pavement, called the police. Um, They're like, hey, uh, you know, we really can't do anything. You know, we'll put it in our records. You know, maybe we'll, uh, we'll put you in the car. We can go around the block and look, but yeah, we'll just like follow up if, uh, if we find it at some point and that's it. And then just like chuck me out. <laughs> this is like ten minutes after they got there. Um, okay, why do we have police services then? Uh, by the way, David, in order to make this a bit more uh, interactive, I'm going to send you uh, something that I generated in an AI uh, machine uh, <laughs> for the purpose of this program. Um, it's traffic stop by mustache cop with a red face. Uh, it's through the Mid Journey <laughs> AI. Tell me what you think of those images and uh, which one. We should choose for the cover that you guys will be able to see if uh, you subscribe to the podcast version of Consumer Choice Radio. They look pretty good. It's got to be number two or number three. Those look rather Orwellian. I like oh, yeah. It. Yeah, I think, I think so. Oh, beautiful. Um, but we've seen um, Philadelphia. We've seen this in San Francisco um, in terms of the lawlessness. Um, so I, I mentioned I'll be in D.C. next week, which uh, same story. There has been a lot of lawlessness. Uh, there have been a lot of people who are just committing larceny out in the open. It's not on the level of defecation on the streets like San Fran. No. But, you know, that seems to always be the end. You know, that's whether it be downtown Vancouver or uh, <laughs> downtown San Francisco, you got to have somebody pooping on the streets. Well, and there is a consumer cost to this because you see in California, how many of these businesses are closing just because there's like mass theft? Where like five or six people ransack a store all at the same time. And there's really not much a shop owner can do unless he wants to shoot at these people or so. Like you if you're just a single shop owner, you're not gonna be able to take on eight people storming your store to steal stuff. And it just happens over and over again and there's no consequences and they never find these guys and they never arrest them. And so these stores just close or they factor in theft loss into profit and loss, and they got to increase their prices in order to cover 
the amount of product they know they're going to lose to theft. And so everybody loses when you don't punish those things, not just because the cops uh, have bad incentives, but they lose because things become more expensive or less available. And it's, it's just a disaster all the way. Yeah. And we had that at, uh, I used to work at Home Depot and uh, we had the whole loss prevention category and it was like just it was put into the budget i mean for our store i think it was like to the order of fifty thousand dollars a year they knew would get stolen at some point (laughs) so basically that was the budget you know if it went over not good if it stayed under way to go but i can only imagine in some of these areas and stores you know they've they've probably had to up those numbers a lot and and the as you mentioned before you know, if they do catch somebody, well, what, they give them a small thing, they give them a court date, and then they walk out, and there's, like, essentially no penalty, and I don't know, it seems that the criminal justice system really has got his eyes on you, the average consumer, the guy vaping, walking down the street, or the guy driving your car trying to get to work or bring your kids somewhere, uh, but the actual criminals who are doing stuff that is violent, for some reason, do not get what's coming to them. I don't know what it's yeah. about, David. I'm not sure if this is a, you know, if we can we can dive into the uh, the conspiracy angle of the, you know, George Soros district attorneys and there, oh, there's God. all kinds of stuff no. about there. But uh, there's definitely a lot when it comes to you know figuring out how we're going to keep our communities safe. And look, this will be an issue. And I think you're right. The law and order conservatives will come up with something, and and they're gonna you know rear their head again. So we'll talk more about that and uh, other stuff here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned, David. Let's let's talk about prohibition. How about that? And we are back on Consumer Choice Radio. Yael, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, we've talked about Ron DeSantis quite a bit, how he could be the uh, appear to be the front runner for 2024, uh, depending on who you talk to. Um, it looks like he's done something I think is particularly ugly. Uh, long story short is they took some illegal immigrants from Florida and facilitated them to get to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, for people who don't know, that's kind of like a bougie Hamptons-ish community uh, in Mass uh, Massachusetts. Uh, really, really gross, like, when owning the libs becomes not funny. Um, you can you can think that the U.S. has an illegal immigration problem. You can want to change policy and all of that jazz. But to, like, engage in the shuffling of migrants to try and score political points just feels really gross. Um, really gross. Yeah, there's a... Um, it's sort of... It's... A, as you said, an own the libs moment in policy. Um, and I think, I think the story yeah. is, it's not that they came from Florida. The, most of them come from Texas, particularly from the, the border regions. It's just that DeSantis somehow facilitated this. And the one that's getting all the coverage in the right-wing press is the uh, 50 or so people who were dropped off at uh, Martha's Vineyard, sort of the rich uh, area in Massachusetts. And then uh, also a bus showed up at the Naval Observatory, which is where Kamala Harris lives. <laughs> which, like for political stunt and theater, you know, bravo. And to the bases. Uh, I, I mean, I'm yeah. all, 
I'm all for a good political stunt, but not if it involves actual human beings and throwing them into the mix. Like, well, that's like yes, every that's, that's like every political stunt ever. Uh, I think so. In this, well, I mean, there's yeah, a different for context for this. Um, most of the people who are uh, being either on these planes or on the buses or whatever it might be, um, from what I've been able to read, they have all been processed as asylum seekers. Um, they've all been granted some kind of temporary status, and they are awaiting sort of final court dates and uh, processed by the immigration authorities. So I believe in those areas of Texas, they do have. Uh, the ability to stay there until they have their hearing. And somehow people were basically told that they were going to be able to have this free trip to these areas. So there's a lot of conflicting information that's coming out about that. Um, but at least according to the New York Times and CNN and stuff, they're saying that people were boarding this um, with the hopes of some kind of either opportunity to meet family on that in that part whether it be massachusetts or dc or perhaps they were offered working papers or who knows it is a gambit obvious absolutely <laughs> i'm not gonna deny yeah. that it is a strange um and funny thing and look nobody i think everyone in the country is very unserious about immigration and we're not having a real discussion it's a lot of wokeism and it's a lot of uh basedism. Hawks. Yeah. It's all this theater where we're not just talking about, hey, how hard is it to move here if you want to move here and you want to, you know, start working and have a family? Like what is the process? I mean, the solution is if you're going to catch illegal immigrants, fine. What you do is you process them on site. You give them the legal documentation required to work and you let them work and you can create a system if you're worried about entitlements even though they end up taking less in terms of entitlements in comparison to naturalized citizens um, but if you're really worried about entitlements you create a buffer period on like state benefits and entitlements so they can only be accessed after a certain amount of time um whether or not you have a path to citizenship, I don't know. But you can at least allow them to stay and work. So here's the, the funny thing. Have you heard about the UK Rwanda plan? Yeah, that's bananas. That so is, is absolute bananas. So this is similar to uh, the uh, Australian authorities. They have uh, sort of these you know Christmas Island and all these different places in Papua New Guinea where they essentially have these camps where asylum seekers who are attempting to cross into Australia will stay temporarily. And the UK earlier this year announced a very similar plan with Rwanda, uh, you know, genocide Rwanda, uh, that people, if they want to have their applications processed as asylum seekers, they must first go to Rwanda. They'll be relocated there. They'll be able to go through the various procedures and paperwork. Um, it is a way for many of these governments to do a, you know, out of out of sight, out of mind. And I agree with you that it is a terrible policy but frankly david realistically <laughs> this is basically every country like the more i, yeah, I started uh, thinking about it investigating every, it yeah every country is bad on immigration nobody i mean at least from my view because my view would be far more open 
uh, easier immigration process, a significant increase in immigrants. If you have other uh, auxiliary concerns in terms of entitlements, create a buffer period where they can't access entitlements. If you're worried about vote behavior, which we hear the right whining about all the time, there's a reason. There's reasons why those arguments are false, but we don't need to get into them. Create a buffer period on the path to citizenship and the right to vote. Um, I mean, all of those are solved by very simple, um, very simple policy changes that don't require keeping people in Africa to have their paperwork processed. Well, perhaps this is something that the uh, brand new King Charles um, implemented. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and a lot of the immigration stuff, you know, we've, we have, um, sort of a mutual friend who's going through many of these immigration processes in Europe and, you know, has had all kinds of problems. I know I've had problems the last couple of years. Uh, thankfully I was finally able to get it, you know, but I had to marry somebody locally and I've been through the immigration ringer twice in my life. It's not fun. Very dehumanizing. And so hold on, Mel- Melanie, if you're listening, Yael did not marry you for the green card? No, no. <laughs> I'm teasing you, I'm teasing you. No, actually, I held on very well. Uh, I held on very well. We, uh, I was able to do student visas for a long time, and, uh, you know, I, I had my own for a while, but when the time was right, the time was right. <laughs> but it is true. It's If you're just a normal person who wants to work, who has an opportunity, and God forbid you got a couple of degrees... You know, they still make it very difficult. And I I still cannot wrap my head around why this is so problematic in terms of policy, why things have to be so complicated. And it's unfortunate that it's come to this point where you have state governors, you know, who kind of use this. Quebec is very much the same way. You know, Quebec is, you know, playing around with all kinds of migrants that they're getting or uh, people who are crossing it, whatever it is, Roxham Farm. Um, which I've been to that crossing and there ain't much going on, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it, a little it, bit of politics and a little bit of theater. How about that? Yeah, it's just frustrating. It's beneath it's beneath the governor of Florida to engage in such behavior. <laughs> what are you doing, Ronnie? Uh, so speaking of um, stuff that we don't like, the prohibitionists are out in full force, David. And uh, you had oh, an article um, that was out this week all about it. And uh, it seems alcohol is on your mind. Yeah, yeah. So essentially what's happened is the the Canadian Center for Substance Use and Addiction, um, who gets money from, who is entirely funded by the federal government, turns around and then lobbies the federal government to essentially say that the lowest drinking guidelines need to be changed to the point where anything more than two drinks in a week is considered dangerous or problematic drinking. So virtually overnight, we all become problematic drinkers. And I mean, it's one, it's laughable because it's so divorced from reality. If you were to implement these changes, everybody would laugh at you. Um, Nobody would take it seriously. The the comparison that I think is a good one would be, uh, I mean, traffic fatalities are an issue in Canada and the United States. And imagine if a government-funded lobby group advised the government that the speed limit everywhere should never exceed 40 kilometers an hour in an effort to reduce traffic fatalities. Nobody would follow it. Everybody, everyone would be like, oh, that's a joke. 
Um, and so it, it, by going too far, it actually undermines the the issue of of alcohol abuse, and it completely ignores the ignores the fact that under the existing guidelines. Uh, something like 85% of Canadian drinkers do so responsibly, which is pretty good. Um, that's that's higher than I expected. And so, I mean, the much better approach here, rather than just trying to, like, have creeping prohibition, would be to talk about and focus on the people who actually struggle, who need some help, uh, rather than throwing all of the other adults who consume alcohol responsibly under the bus at the same time. And Isn't so, yeah, it crazy I, that all the Greek philosophers told us about moderation and it was a <sighs> principle that held steadfast and it's present in many religions, yet today's people, the neo-Puritans, the new Puritans, as Noah Rothman would call them, um, take this kind of, you know, this zero approach or this uber limited approach that does not match reality and surely doesn't match the millions of people out there who might consume an alcohol beverage one, two or three and then be over the limit. I can't understand why this is David. And even if it is so um, in many places throughout the U S and throughout Canada, Hey, it's the government that's selling it. So that's a big problem. Maybe yeah, we should stop yeah. the government from being well, able to sell it. Cause it's so bad. That's another that's another problem. It's like in one sense you have this government funded group lobbying the federal government to change the guidelines while provincial governments make out like bandits, uh either just being the wholesaler or being the wholesaler and the retailer of alcohol and generate billions and billions and billions of dollars in revenue um in doing so. It's like so And very similar, David. Very similar to cigarettes and tobacco which are hugely taxed everywhere. And many municipalities, many state or provincial governments count on that money. And uh, a lot of them count on that money to fund their health systems. Yeah. So, well, you know, if <laughs> there's a competitor that comes along and people are smoking less, something like a vaping device, well, if we see that people are switching, uh, well, we might want to ban that, you know, <laughs> keep people smoking so we can get that tax money. Eh? Yeah, it's like, do you want people to drink or not drink? Do you want them to smoke or not smoke? It's like, there are so many incentives at play here that it's so con it's 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 so convoluted. It's like, well, we want you to drink less, but we're also going to hit your Twitter feed with LCBO sponsored posts every day, um, telling you about the latest deals at the LCBO, the the provincially owned <laughs> liquor company. It's like so you do or you don't. What what's really going on here? Um, yeah, I don't know. It just it grinds my gears. Sounds like you need to clear your cookies, David. Use a VPN. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, David, we're in our last uh, two minutes here. Um, I don't often do this, but what are you looking forward to for the next week? You know, what are you uh, what are you looking at? Things you're excited about? What's going on? Um, I'm actually interested to watch the Queen's funeral um, because okay. that uh, is a moment in history. Um, as I said on the last program, I'm, I'm apathetic or kind of impartial to, to monarchy. I don't really love the premise, but I can understand the consequential arguments for it. 
Um, but historically, I mean, it's a historic moment. And so um, uh, I will be watching, uh, watching that. Jeez, what a good subject. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of I guess from from my side, uh, flying to DC, and uh, I'm excited to go do a little bit of consumerism. Hop on over to Target, buy some things, uh, maybe play squash, enjoy some some local food, see the sights, and then try to lobby the government. That's what we do here at Consumer Choice Radio and at the Consumer Pretty Choice beautiful. Center. Indeed. Well, David, it's a pleasure catching up. Uh, hopefully, all your uh, your new Twitter followers enjoyed the uh, the program. Yes, yeah, <laughs> indeed. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next week. ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. dot